Welcome to the Save Your Spoon podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bianco. I'm so excited to have you today. We are going to be talking about depression, what major depressive disorder is, what the symptoms are, some neurobiological underpinnings of depression, because this isn't just your head. This is literally your biology being different, and a lot of people's biology are different. We're reducing mental health stigma, okay? That's what we're doing here. And then we are going to talk about just some ways that we could target mental health concerns, whether that be through journaling, through having quality supports. Get all into that and I'll explain some of the neurobiological underpinnings of it. I've also been speaking with small children all day, so please bear with me. And I do wanna say, I personally have experienced major depressive disorder. I have been in remissions for some time, but sometimes stuff gets hard. So we are, I've been in a better place like the past, I guess, 24 hours. I've, yeah, we've been going through it, but the thing is just implementing these strategies and just putting yourself out there has come a long way. Why I want to preface with this is because I know a lot of people talk about mental health. A lot of people have mental health issues and I am one of them. I don't want you to think that I'm pulling this out of my butt. I also want to add that I do have a background in psychology and neuroscience. I am a master's of arts in speech language pathology. I do know neuroscience to an extent. I am not a psychiatrist by any means. So take that with what you will. A lot of what I'm talking about is from the book called The Distorted Mind, and this book has been absolutely lovely when talking about just mental health and just kind of breaking the stigma. I think it's so difficult to really displace yourself from your mental illness. We have such a difficulty identifying and accepting mood disturbance as potentially abnormal, since it is so ingrained with our identity, our personality. We think that these behaviors, these patterns, these thoughts, that's us. And so when we are thinking about these mental illnesses, we think it's a dig at who we are as as a fundamental person. And that's not the case. Despite advances in science and medicine, many people are still inclined to view mood disorders as a personal weakness, as bad behavior, rather than an actual illness. And that's what it is. Think about someone who has problems with their kidneys or livers, that's going to have physical manifestations. But the way that that looks with the brain is very different. We call that invisible illness. And with that, well, not invisible illness. But the thing is, we can't see what's going on in the brain. It's not as easily accessible. So with that, I really want to talk about depression from a neurobiological standpoint, just to bring to view that this is not a dig at your personality, that there is a fundamental difference in brain makeup and every brain is a little different. Like when we are looking at where the temporal lobe is, it might be a little different. And so I just wanna bring this to light and provide some rhyme to reason why we are experiencing some of the symptoms that we are. So what is depression? Major depressive disorder is a mood disorder characterized by persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness, lack of interest or pleasure in activities, and although mood fluctuations are normal in individuals to an extent, many individuals with MDD, major depressive disorder, 
have an impact. What they feel has an impact on their various aspects of life, whether that be their personal life, relationships, work, their overall well-being. Some symptoms include the persistent sadness, anxiety, empty mood, loss of interest in or pleasure in activities, changes in sleep patterns, changes in appetite or weight, fatigue, loss of energy, difficulty concentrating or making decisions, impaired cognitive functioning, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, physical symptoms such as headaches or unexplained aches and pains, changes in movements, whether that be psychomotor agitation and you're moving too quickly or you are moving very slowly, and then suicidal thoughts or behaviors. So I've been reading this book, like I said, The Disordered Mind, and a quote from it said, depression is an extreme form of melancholy or sadness, accompanied by a lack of energy and a lack of emotion. So think of that apathetic mood tied with the inability to get out of bed. It is a very hard feeling. It is something that I have been through in high school, in eighth grade. I've experienced just like apathetic feelings in college. And it's something that you just, it's it's hard to put into words. And it's kind of like painful in a way because you're like, why can't I just get myself to do something or feel something? And that's where that guilt in. It comes in. You could go around all different ways about like the circuit of thought and just being a normal participant in everyday life and trying to mask depression in. There's, it's just a very difficult thing to go about it. I think something that I would want to dig into, I didn't really get into it this episode or plan on it, but learning about masking depression and those individuals with quote unquote high functioning depression, just because you can go so long without people really realizing that there's something wrong with you because you go every day. And there have been studies with masking, at least those with autism, and I have lightly saw a few studies that hinted at this, where when you are masking, it impairs your cognitive functioning to an extent because you have to make sure that you are maintaining your physical presence, that you are kept together, but you have to also follow through with the task. So you have this high cognitive demand that you have to keep on following through and that will literally lead to burnout. So again, I've been through that situation. I know how hard it is. And if you're going through it, I very much so am sending so much love. And I think it's so fundamental to really look at your feelings and look at considering therapy and I'll get into that. I'm going out of my timeline here. (laughs) So I do want to once again circle back to the idea that there are these differences in brain structures. So I'm not going to go into the whole neuroanatomy. I can. People with mood disorders must be constantly aware of their feelings and their state of mind. And this can be challenging when you are experiencing very intense emotions. It's challenging to separate thoughts from reality when you have these feelings of hopelessness and lack of energy to participate in everyday activities. I'm going to start with a very big picture here. 
The prefrontal cortex. This is the area that's responsible for concentration, decision-making, judgment, and planning for the future. It also has conversations with the amygdala, which is in charge of emotions, the hypothalamus, which has implications for some of those autonomic nervous system, the hippocampus, which is in charge of memory and some other functions, and the insular cortex, which these all connect directly to area 25, the subcolossal cingulate cortex. So conversations with all of these areas make the use of emotion and help us plan our day and respond to the world around us in a healthy way. And so when these aren't all functioning in a very positive manner or when they're not all working as a team, when there might be differences in the neurocircuitry, this causes for some possible dysfunction in the way that we perceive the world around us, the way that we perceive ourselves, and the way that we identify with our emotions. So, like I said, I really wanted to bring up a couple areas, some key takeaways that I wanted to highlight to you that helps kind of put that rhyme to reason to help us identify why we are experiencing some of the symptoms that we are. So... The first one I'm going to talk about involves big, bad stress. Have you ever heard the term or the phrase, stress kills? I'm not here to tell you otherwise. So, stress impacts depression. It activates the neuroendocrine system. We call it the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. And so, this is in charge of releasing stress hormones, whether that be in a very healthy way or when it is released more chronically, and that has a whole other implication. But this prompts the adrenal glands to release cortisol. Cortisol, as you may know, or if you've listened to my previous podcast, it is, or videos, it is called the stress hormone. And so cortisol is great in small doses. It really helps us like get up on our feet. It helps us like work out or like tackle difficult tasks. It's released at certain points in the day naturally. But in excess over a long period of time, it can cause changes in appetite, sleep, and energy. And so that's why we may be feeling more lethargic or fatigued during our days. Number two, cortisol destroys synaptic connections. So communication between the hippocampus, which is important for memory storage, and then the prefrontal cortex, which as I mentioned, that's involved with basically our will to live, our decision-making skills, our planning, how we execute things. And so when we don't have those parts of the brain primed and when they are not connected, it is difficult to really execute some plans to think about how we should follow through with the plan or recall memory or just store memory, working memory, and just executing tasks through our day-to-day lives. It makes it difficult when our neurons are not firing like they should. Next, we have defective functioning in the insular cortex. And so this is in charge of bodily sensations. And so the author explicitly said this might be why people with depression feel dead inside. Going back to that area 25, it becomes hyperactive. And so components of the neural circuit concerned with emotions are literally disconnected with the thinking brain and so this can lead to a loss of personal identity following that 
This circuitry also is believed to be where thought, motor control, and drive come together. Once again, leading to a difficulty when it comes to executing our identity. There's also a neurocircuit connected to the right anterior insula, and this is thought to influence the region of pleasure circuit and controlling behavior. And so if you've ever heard of dopamine, that's kind of what this is in charge of. Think about how you don't find pleasure in activities you used to. That symptom of depression is kind of implicated in this area. And it could be also from, it could be very multifaceted. I'm just kind of hinting at this might be one of the reasons why, or one of the reasons why. Um, MRI and imaging studies have showed that there is enlarged and increased activity in the amygdala. Think about where emotions are processed. And this may account for feelings of hopelessness, sadness, and mental anguish. The distorted activity in the right insula, right interior insula, this is where self-awareness comes in. It also interacts with social experience. It connects to the hypothalamus, which helps regulate sleep, appetite, and then libido. So we have a lot. I named eight big takeaways that I had. There's a ton other in the book. I highly recommend this book, and I do want to talk more about it as I continue reading. I just think that this was something that I held very near and dear to my heart, and I really felt compelled to talk about it. So I want to discuss some of the best way to tackle these. First and foremost, I want you to really develop self-compassion. Since there is such a strong stigma with mental health disorders and invisible illnesses in general, I want you to give yourself some grace. Remind yourself that you are not alone in this situation. Many people experience mental health issues. Give yourself grace to experiencing these emotions because the harder you are going to beat yourself down on feeling this way, the harder it's going to be. Do things that make you feel safe. Sometimes I will literally give myself like a big hug, as dumb as it sounds, a big hug. And this will help you literally release oxytocin. And so this is a neurotransmitter that is kind of like the love hormone. And this will bring some feelings of warmth to you. Another one is to build a positive support system. This can also bring some oxytocin to help. But isolating is so easy to do. It increases loneliness and it also increases opportunities for you to ruminate in negative thinking and a deeper negative thought process. Like, have you ever been there when you're laying on a bed and you just dig and dig and dig into an anxious thought until you have dug so deep that you are, there's no coming back. And so rumination is, oh my goodness. And so having that accessibility to the prefrontal cortex also helps us kind of pull ourselves out of it. Using those self-awareness skills or those self-regulation skills to be like, stop, let's not think about this. And sometimes thinking about my positive support system, when I am going down that hill of like isolation and sadness, I will literally call my grandma. I will call my dad. I will call one of of my support system. And this will help me kind of displace negative feelings to a positive feeling. It will make me kind of take out of that, like, I don't want to say selfish, but it takes the hat off and puts it on someone else. Now my main intention is on you. 
this has been very effective when it comes to kind of self-awareness and stopping that thought, stopping, stopping that rumination. Having a good friend or an animal can turn and improve your quality of life. And if you are safe with that person, you can confine in them with anything you're feeling. And just having that embrace can strengthen that connection and make you feel seen and warm and supportive. And it can also bring some affirmations and remind you that you have so much to live for. Sometimes it's like you could tell yourself a thousand things, but the moment you hear it from someone else, it makes you feel better. And so once again, positive support systems are fundamental. There is a term I love with my whole heart. It is called metacognition. Metacognition allows us to just be self-aware, to self-analyze. When we are thinking of something, metacognition allows us to take a step back and even examine it further. It kind of helps us compute the validity of what we're feeling. It sounds very complex, I think, the way I just said it. But metacognition is done best through journaling. Journaling allows us to take our thoughts and fears out of our brain and put it onto paper. And so through this, it actually helps us further understand what we're feeling. And so I'll even do this when I'm typing. Like if something comes up, I always just have like a notepad on hand on my laptop that I could just type it out. And sometimes I'll look at it and be like, wow, that was so stupid. And so what this does is think about that prefrontal cortex that I was referring to, being able to reflect. It just helps us process what we're going through and self-analyze. And so this is one step in kind of meeting that need and um, analyzing the prefrontal cortex in a constructive manner, using that logical side of the brain by writing it down and being like, wow, that sounds so stupid. Well, not stupid. Self-compassion. But be like, wow, I really don't feel that way. That was not a true thought or this isn't the reality. And so through that, you could be, you could just write it down and be like, that wasn't it. That was so silly. Journaling also helps us practice gratitude if we're feeling like we just need to remind ourselves about what we do have in our lives. Sometimes, like, I know it's hard that you don't want to really use like negative, positive thinking. I don't, can't recall the phrase. You don't want to make yourself feel positive. Of course, those negative emotions and kind of like conceal it. But gratitude helps me kind of put things into perspective. It helps me realize like, wow, like I can't believe I was really upset over this when, like I'll give you an example. Like sometimes I'll be like, wow, like I feel so alone in the world. Like I am so lonely, no one wants to be my friend. And then I'll go out with people and I'll be like, why did I ever think that? And that's just, once again, when you think, write that down, or like sometimes even talking it out loud makes you be like, wow, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. And with that, it allows you to more effectively analyze it. Like here we are now and I do not feel that way and I have all these beautiful people in my life. So journaling, gratitude, and reflection are really great tools to utilize. Something that I've adored and I will always be a big advocate for is therapy. Psychotherapy, including cognitive behavioral therapy, can help you reframe negative thoughts. We'll stop you going down that hole of negative thoughts 
And once again, this makes you utilize more of the cognitive brain, the prefrontal cortex, effectively analyzing and questioning thoughts that come up to see if they are true. And it again, reframing these thoughts to be like, we call it personification. And so you put yourself, you are kind of like the main reason why something happened when you really were not involved. It was going to happen without you anyway. Or there is, you could catastrophize things. So you might think like, wow, if I say no to this person, it's, they're going to hate me. And so catastrophizing really makes you think like it's going to be the end of the world. Therapy helps you reframe these. It helps you pinpoint where your triggers are. It helps you pinpoint your thought processes. And so with this, you're able to utilize these in everyday situations and therefore be a better participant in life. And I think people with or without depression can benefit from therapy. I think self-awareness is... I think I saw a crazy statistic that only 20% of the population is self-aware. I'm pretty sure I'm like hyper aware to like a fault. And that's a whole conversation in itself. With psychotherapy, psychotherapy has actually been shown to anatomically change the brain. And it really looks at some of that memory storage system. So it is literally a learning process. So those fundamental areas of the brain for learning, it really increases those neurons because you're forced to apply this in everyday routines. And then the last thing is psychotherapy is beneficial when you are digging up some of those triggers, when you are talking about those hard topics, seeing what trauma you're carrying or those feelings you're unconsciously radiating. And it kind of allows you to dig deeper and then let go of those. The last thing I want to talk about is just the use of medication. I have used medication. I do like medication. I think it's really helped me. I have titrated down. I have titrated up. I have tried multiple medications. And I think for me, it really allowed me to flourish. I know it's not for everyone. And I know there's stigma of being on meds for the rest of your life. I think that conversation has a time and place. For me, not that I don't support medication, I think there's a lot that you might benefit on working with the therapist and working on yourself that medication might glaze over. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I have a background in neuroscience and psychology and how it applies to communication systems. I, I love neuroanatomy, if you can't tell. But... I think it's something that you should discuss with your mental health practitioner or with your primary care physician if you think it's worth pursuing. I benefited from it. I think to exploring just my interests and my passions have really helped me when it comes to tackling depression. I find that my fatigue kind of grows away when I'm working on my passion projects. I'm not necessarily sure how that correlates to neuroanatomy, but for me, I think like something with the pleasure circuitry really helps me. Um, that's kind of where that area is being targeted. I think that 
one way to help with the dopamine and to help with kind of the pleasure neurotransmitter is to really like find where you feel fulfilled find whether that be like a class you've always wanted to take or learning something new or trying a new hobby having that increases dopamine and so looking at the pleasure systems kind of changing it in a way and adds value to your life so that's kind of an extra thing I just added right now but I think too there's so many ways you could go about improving your mental health like people talk about diet and lifestyle changes but I'm going to just leave it there we're gonna have a whole podcast and just hijacking neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin so I'm going to leave it at that but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode I hope it really paints the picture about how many mechanisms are involved in depression like this isn't just who you are as a person it's not your choice to be sad and so when we are talking about and dealing with the stigma behind mental illness I want you to remember that you are more than this a mental illness and like mental health disorders and any disorder in your life does not have to define you unless you let it. I am sending so much love and light to everyone who is listening and watching. Feel free to leave a comment below or opinion in the show notes and I'll link the book in the show notes too. All right have a good one guys. Bye.